Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. Put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. If only, if only we had something that we could hang our hats on. Well, then we could do some buying to today's downturn. Dow tumbling 292 points. S&P losing 0.57%. NASDAQ sinking 0.45%. But you know what? Let's tell the truth. We got nothing to hang our hats on. Nothing at all. You know what? I also think we should just stop pretending otherwise. Right now, I find it incredibly hard to have any conviction about anything. Why? Because in this business, timing is everything. You don't just buy a stock because you like the underlying company. You have to wait for the right moment. That's right, the moment when the price of the stock is right. Yet you really hear people saying, I mean, how often do you hear this? I love this company, but I don't like the stock at these levels. Too many of us fear missing out more than we fear losing. That's especially true uh, now that as we've had 250 days about a 5% decline. So the FOMO is palpable. Now, if you could hang your hat on something right now, say that inflation's coming down or maybe the, uh, how about this, that, that the Fed's on pause? Well, they could be for all I know. Uh, or a COVID's peaked, then you, can, <laughs> then you can pounce on the decline, right? And look, they, these are real possibilities. We get a weaker than expected consumer price index number at 830 today. But who knows if that will continue? When you look at these case numbers, COVID might be peaking. But what happens when the kids start come, giving it to each other, right? And then the parents get it as the school year begins in earnest. I hear that we're learning to live with the virus. Although, if that's the case, how come millions upon millions of people don't want to go back to work? Because they say they fear getting sick. As for the Fed, is it really on hold? I thought they were on hold because of the worries about the Delta variant. If COVID peaks, there's a chance they can start talking about tightening again, even as I know Jay Powell would prefer not to. Unfortunately, the data might make that difficult unless inflation really has peaked, in which case the Fed's no longer a problem. Here's the issue. 
I've had no conviction about any of these scenarios. I mean, they're possible, but they are probable. I don't know. I mean, I got no ability to hang my hat on anything. Then when we had this endless day-to-day chasing problem, the Dow uh, Jones Industrial Average, it was up nicely yesterday, which I said would cause traders to come in this morning and do some buying in that group. Sure enough, the industrials opened higher, people chased them, and then they sank when there were no buyers underneath. Typically, when you buy stocks, you build a position gradually, and you want to buy more on the way down in case you failed to pick the bottom. But if you bought stocks merely because you thought they were going higher, momentum, because the trend was your friend, then suddenly, well, let's say you're left wondering if you made a big mistake. You might have been hanging your hat on buying dips as the philosophy has worked for ages. But maybe... It won't work anymore. The calendar says that dip buying doesn't work right now. Hey, maybe the calendar is right. How about individual stocks? We're seeing some disturbing trends. For ages, I find that if you buy high-quality stocks and you keep buying them the way down, more often than not, well, you'll make out like a bandit. Doesn't seem to be working right now. Hey, let's talk about Apple, all right? The stock of the greatest company in the universe has tended to run up into a new product launch like we had today. Then, like clockwork, it sells off. Last week, though, Apple had been pummeled by its so-called loss to Epic in a recent federal court ruling. I figured that if the stock had run into the launch and then gotten slugged, maybe because if it sold off before the launch, well, we can see the opposite effect. I hung my hat on the idea that there were low expectations for the iPhone 13 and the other goodies that come with it. Nope. Apple got hit anyway. Nothing to hang your hat on. So the pattern recognition that I wanted to hang my hat on, it had failed. Or take wind resorts. Now, here's a stock that had been pummeled by the idea that COVID would hurt business both in Vegas and in Macau. I own it for the Chapel Trust because I expected it would be viewed as a major reopening trade. Uh, well, we were looking real good. But then, well, then what happened? The Chinese communists let it be known that it wants to crack down on gambling in Macau, which is their core business. Should should have been more worried about China's resurging communism, even as China has always, in the end, let gamblers be gamblers. Once again, I thought I had something to hang my hat on. Instead, there was... Oh, of course, the Chinese communist one actually gets on. Instead, there was no... Well, doesn't that say everything? I can't even... There you go. Okay. And then think of the groups that we would have thought would have made us a ton of money. Hey, remember we thought the drug stocks had evaded potential price controls because Biden didn't bring it up right after he was elected? Well, that group had a huge head of steam on it. That was a real hat hanger. Then last week, it turns out that Biden's people were just buying their time. The plan is to roll back drug prices to levels that would cause a huge amount of pain to shareholders, even as they'd be very beneficial to anyone who buys medication. Now, the whole group has to bottom, and it doesn't look so good. Forget that hat hanger. Hat, hat hanger. Lately, I've been hearing people make the case that the bags were cheap. Oh, that one seemed like it was a good idea to hang my hat on, right? We heard no, well, let's see, how about nice risk reward? We heard they were cheap versus earnings. We heard it was time to buy. But I kept thinking, why? Why? Uh, what do you know? What does your conviction stem from? The answer after today's sell-off, nothing. So let me ask you something then. Uh, how the heck do you come up with conviction to buy? The answer is simple. When you feel like you'd be willing to buy more on the way down and not cut and run because you never had anything to hang your hat on to begin with. Sell, 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 sell. Man, I'm really good. <laughs> All right. 
right. All right. Well, we get the picture. I'm very good. All right. What's the cure? First, I think it's price. When stocks fail to go down initially on bad news, then fail to go down when that bad news is pointed out to them by analysts the next day, that does tell you the pain is over. So remember, that's the moment to buy. So first, we have bad news. The stock doesn't go down. Then we have bad news that the analysts talk about, and the stock still doesn't go down. That's a good signal. However, we may have to wait until the second week of October when the period of maximum seasonal pain, as Larry Williams tells us, is done. Finally, you need, let's just say we need to see stocks stop suffering big declines on nothing. Again, go back to Apple. The stock was down big last Friday. Then the launch went fine. And then it still went down more. And only if the stock started dropping today did people say, I guess that's not such a good phone. Oh, please. I'll take it. Give me yours. Now, periodically, I read a little bit about myself on Twitter because I am a masochist. That, of course, would turn me into one of these if I stuck with it. And I see that apparently I have become a raving bear. Now, maybe at this very moment, that's such a bad thing. But more importantly, I'm not a bear. I'm neutral for the moment. I'm just waiting to have something to hang my hat on before I pull the trigger. Lots of unseasoned players in this market keep mistaking my caution for belief that the whole market's headed down. I simply want to lessen the chances that the stock market gets hammered after I'm, I'm doing my buying and be done it. That's what you want. Remember, you're trying to make it for a better risk reward. The bottom line, right now, I'm keeping my rally cap on my head, okay? Because... As I as well, as you could tell from my flailing efforts, other than when I put the Chinese Communist Party hat on, there is nothing else to hang our hats on if we're bulls. Let's go to Dane in Florida. Dane. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Great to speak with you. Thank you. I'm looking to diversify my portfolio by reopening a telecommunications position. Okay. And Verizon caught my eye last week. With well, don't. Don't let it. It'll poke your eye out. That stock's doing absolutely nothing fast. I don't want you in that one. If you want to be able to try to make some uh, a little bit of extra income, I'd rather actually see you in Chevron. How about Scott in Florida? Scott. Hey, Jim. This is Scott in Florida. Thanks for taking my phone call. Um, I'm calling on a stock that you recommended about a month ago, uh, Beauty Health. The ticker is S-K-I-N. Um, you interviewed Oh, Brett man, Saunders. that thing's been hot as a pistol. Unbelievable. It just merged with a uh, relationship with Ulta, uh, Nordstrom, uh, Sephora. Yeah, it's blowing up. As well. I want your opinion. What do you think about this stock going forward? This is one that that uh, Brent Saunders told us about. He used to run Allergan. He's been dead right. It's been a terrific stock. I don't think it's done. Wait for a little bit of pullback. But I've got to tell you, Brent nailed it, and he nailed it for us. All right, everybody. Right now, we don't have anything to hang our hat on in this market, although I demonstrated a complete inability to try to miss every time I tried to. Anyway, uh, and, and until we do find something to hang our hats on, I find it incredibly hard to have conviction about buying anything. So I'm keeping my, let's say I'm sitting on my hands. On Man Money Tonight, Palo Alto Networks held its analyst day yesterday, setting the stock higher. So could this red-hot tech play continue to connect your portfolio to profits? I'm getting the latest from the CEO. Then a specter's haunting Wall Street, the specter of sky-high natural gas. I talk about this endlessly because it is. So is the price soaring on the fundamentals, or are we just seeing another short squeeze? 
I'm going off the charts for answers. And Telurian, another Nat Gas play, is poised to better between these higher Nat Gas prices still. So I'm checking in with this $3 stock and the company's chairman to learn more about what the company has in its pipeline. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Even when the broader market's just getting crushed, you can still find winners. Stocks like Palo Alto Networks. That's that best-of-breed cybersecurity company that's been on fire for the past few weeks, or I could say past few years. The last time we spoke to Palo Alto was only three weeks ago, when the company delivered a blowout quarter right before the stock pole vaulted at 18.6% the next day. Since then, it's been on a continual roll, surging from 441 and change all the way to the 480s, despite Nasdaq getting crushed. And yesterday, we got some more fabulous news when Palo Alto held its analyst meeting, where they issued new long-term guidance. Get this, management's forecasting $8 billion in revenue for 2024. That translates into a 23% compound annual growth rate. This is not a small company. Throwing steadily expanding margins, and I'm surprised the stock only rallied less than 2% today. So could this thing have more room to run? Let's check in with Dikesh Arori. He's the bankable chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks. Hear more about his vision for the future after this incredible run. Mr. Rohrer, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you for having me back, Jim. Appreciate it. Okay, so Nikesh, obviously these uh, long-term 
uh, goals are based on things that you think can be made. Billings of 10 billion, revenues of 8 billion. Can you give us an overview about how you came to this long-term guidance? Well, Jim, you know, uh, about a year ago when you and I talked, we were all sort of in the midst of a pandemic trying to figure out where things were going to end up. I think it's abundantly clear that the, you know, despite the bad impacts of the pandemic, we've all learned how to live with it. And at the same time, we've seen an acceleration of technology adoption. It's across the board. You see that in SaaS companies. You see that in streaming businesses. You see that in delivery businesses. And I don't think there's any turning back from here. What that has done, it has increased our reliance on technology. It's increased the momentum of the digital transformation. At the same time, if you add to that, that the cyber attackers are beginning to pay attention to all this technology that's been deployed, we're beginning to see that every company needs to make sure that they're secure. So there's a, there's a huge tailwind in terms of the awareness of cybersecurity and the need to be more security aware as a company. And from that perspective, it gives us great comfort that all the work we've been, we've been doing for the last three years, building our platform around network security, which kind of anticipated this need to move to the cloud, building our platform around cloud security, it's all about protecting applications in the cloud, and really dropping more and more artificial intelligence and machine learning in our Cortex platforms because security needs to be instantaneous. It needs to be now. It's kind of like, you know, Elon's autonomous car, we need to get to autonomous security so we're not spending days, months, and years trying to figure out how that happened. It needs to happen in right that instant. Well, speaking of happen, what's that instant, I got hacked recently, and the only thing that I did was add a smart TV. There was nothing. I checked everything and everything and everything, okay? I now read the Okio product announcement, which I demand that everybody read, okay? And I now realize that I was probably hacked because I put in a smart TV of which I had no protection on and was saying things that I think have been heard by others. I managed to get some of the things recalled that I allegedly bought. But if I had Okio, this new product, I don't think this would have happened. So there's a funny story, Jim. Uh, I got hacked three years ago before I joined Palo Alto Networks. And I was paranoid. I was looking across my infrastructure. And I started doing some research. And I realized... 75% 75% of the people out there don't know their Wi-Fi router password. You don't even know it. Forget about making sure it's protected. You don't even know it. There are people who use generic passwords. You can go hack them as easily as you can hack anything in the world. And you know, that led us to have this huge conversation at Palo Alto Network saying, what's going to be the next bastion of cybersecurity? If you secure enterprises, where do I go? Guess what? Now, this pandemic has proven that we have to work from home, and home has become your work. Well, your home is a lot easier to hack than the enterprise. So the attack, attackers are going to move to the point of least resistance, which is people's home. So we're delighted to have built this product from the ground up with security first in mind, Okio Guard. The whole principle of this product is to be, you can deploy it in your home. It's going to protect your work when you're interacting with your work and protect your home. And we'll make sure that nobody can see each other's data. So people at your work don't see what's going on in your house. You at your home cannot see what's going on at work. They'll run two secure subnets in your home, and you'll be able to be more protected as you work at home. And you know, with the proliferation of things like smart TVs, smart refrigerators, doorbells, alarms, they're all going to be connected to the Internet. You know, you're just expanding that digital connectivity at home, and none of that stuff is designed for security just yet. Now, when I first heard about this, uh, I thought it was enterprise and that I'd have to get it through the enterprise. But you're offering it at a price point, 148 bucks, uh, that makes it so that it's pretty clear this is for home first, but will help you at work. Why price it the way you did? 
Well, I think, Jim, there's three versions of this, or three ways you can use it. One is you can use it as an enterprise extension. So I, have, I use my home for work very often, and there I can have OKGuard protect me while I'm doing Palo Alto work. At the same time, you know, I have heard you talk about restaurants, and my wife has a restaurant too, and I look at them. They're all reliant on technology. They're using yes. OpenTable, DoorDash, all this stuff. They have no idea about the security, what's going on from a technology perspective in a restaurant, and they can't afford IT people to go make that happen. So they can deploy one of these. It's going to protect them, and there's a 7 by 24 support service for SMBs that they can deploy. Or you and I can go on the Internet at OQ.com and order one for ourselves at our home. So we've priced it in a way it can satisfy each of those conditions in each of those use cases. Well, I, I think, I mean, right now I have, a, I have a personal subscription that just helps me against malware. It is nowhere near as, as complicated. or it, it, it isn't smart enough, is I guess what I would say. Now, well, lot- this is not complicated. You can use it off, a, off your phone. It's going to be a simple consumer app saying, make me very secure, make me secure, make me somewhat secure. And you can choose. Well, I hope people realize that I didn't know any of this. I figured that I was safe at home. I I figured who, what, what crook, what cyber thief would attack me at home when they attacked me at the office. And then I realized that I have everything at home that I have at the office. I completely switched and worked from home. So I need this. Everybody needs it. Everybody who works from home needs it. It's a great innovation. Now, these analysts, they also are happy that uh, when you when you came in, they said, Jim, Get away from me. All he wants to do is M&A, okay? Well, it turns out you did the M&A. It was the greatest thing you could possibly do. Now, fondly, they're saying, hey, it's great. He's done with M&A. Did they not realize that before you were M&A, you were just kind of on-prem, and now you've got the end-to-end solution? Well, Jim, you know, it takes four to seven years to build amazing products in any company, whether consumer technology or enterprise technology. We didn't think we had four to seven years to build everything that the world needed. So we went around and found some of the best companies in the world, and we were fortunate enough they decided to come be part of Palo Alto Networks. And we ran a very strong integration playbook with these companies. So we've been in very, very high invest more the last three years, which has allowed us to build these three amazing platforms and be ripe for the market. Now that we have built these amazing products, our job is to make sure we deploy them across our entire customer base. And that's what we're going to be doing for the next three years. So, you know, we don't need to go out and buy more companies because we have ample product in our portfolio. And to be honest, looking at the valuations, it's impossible for us to go acquire some of these you know, high-flying uh, security startups. Right. So we're very comfortable that we're going to go continue to build products internally, go out and deploy them to our customers. And we built 65 products in the last three years, of which we only acquired 11 to 13. So it's not like we haven't been innovating. And now our job is to go execute, go out there, and make sure we keep deploying these to our customers, and in the process, expand our operating margins by 100 basis points a year, 50 to 100, and expand our free cash flow margins, getting us to 35% in 2024. Now, uh, I know Apple always says it's the Fort Knox of its uh, of its complex. Uh, can we start thinking of if you hire at any level, bring Palo Alto in, you've created a on-prem, two-cloud, two-home Fort Knox solution? Well, we have. You know, we had a phenomenal presentation by our founder, uh, Nir Zook, and also by our internal SOC team. When I came to Palo Alto, we used to get 67,000 alerts a week. We're down to 68 events. We've automated everything. We can remediate in under a minute, and we can actually stop threats in seconds that come to us. So we've actually eaten our own dog food, deployed this entire architecture internally, and the whole idea is to get our customers to that secure state that once they're there, they're remediating cybersecurity issues in seconds so that they can focus on their day jobs and not getting worried about who's going to attack them next. 
Okay, so uh, last thing I need to know is uh, when you think about what the biggest security threats we have, are there new ones right now that we're not focused on? You had the you had the ability to see that it was going to be work at home was going to be a problem. What's next? Well, Jim, you know, it's kind of interesting. Cybersecurity, as you see, the ransomware attacks, the, the, yeah. the amount of money being asked for has gone up exponentially because people have figured out there is economic value in this. What we have seen is we've seen cybersecurity go from a hobby to a profession. My concern is that it becomes a more targeted profession. Today we're seeing, you know, you go after 1,800 companies which have a vulnerability. Tomorrow, my fear is this becomes cyber warfare where people start using cyber tools to go after specific companies, specific points of critical infrastructure. That's why it's so important that over the next few to five years, we make sure everything that we have is secure to a certain level. Right. And that requires rethinking technology architectures, rethinking security architectures. And honestly, you know, to, to, to talk my book, it requires a more platform approach towards cybersecurity, not a point solution approach, which is something I said three years ago. And we're did. seeing that in spades today. And I, and I hope that many of our customers, many large companies out there will deploy that strategy because that's the only way for them to get to a better secure state. You've been a straight shooter the whole way. The presentation is excellent. And I got to get the product. What can I say? That's Nikesh Arora, who is the chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks. Nikesh, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me, Jim. appreciate there's, it. There's a great video. You can look at it. Uh, for those of you who have been hacked in the last, say, uh, since you got a smart TV, take a look at it. I think it's definitely what the breach was at my house. Mad Money's back in Coming up, it's a frack attack. Kramer pipes up some wisdom on natural gas when we go off the charts next. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. As I've been saying for some time now, a specter is haunting Wall Street. The specter of sky-high natural gas prices. Now, we'll often hear that nat gas has roared thanks to tight supplies going to the colder part of the year. But what if this is really the mother of all short squeezes? This is crucial to both the stock market and the broader economy because natural gas is a major cost for so many different industries. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner, a brilliant technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading, and our resident commodities expert. Why? Because we want a better read on the situation. We want to be pretty clinical, and that's Carly Garner. Garner points out that all year we've seen the same pattern across various different commodities. You'll get a miraculous boom followed by an agonizing bust. Now, there are good reasons why natural gas started running. An unusually hot summer, that, remember that's for air conditioning, followed by supply disruptions from Hurricane Ida. However, unless we get an extremely cold winter, Garner thinks that market is overestimating the level of demand here with nat gas at five bucks and change. 
Why? All right, let me put this in perspective. Natural gas has been awful for years. Ever since the industry embraced fracking, we've been flooded with supply, and that's kept a major lid on prices. In other words, betting against natural gas was like shooting fish in a barrel. Garner thinks the bears got complacent, though. The result of that complacency? Occasionally, you get explosive moves higher that catch everyone by surprise. It's not just right now. In 2018, there was a managed futures program blow up that sent natural gas from $2.70 to $4.80 in a matter of weeks. Short sellers were forced to liquidate by buying back futures contracts and coal options. Yet a handful of weeks later, it was back under three bucks because short squeezes just don't last. Garner suspects we're seeing something very similar right now. So I want you to take a look at this weekly chart, and that's the most simple chart as we're going to see, of the uh, of natural gas. And this is with the CFTC's commitment of traders or COT report, right? These are the numbers that show you the net positions of small speculators, large speculators, and commercial hedgers. What we care about are the large speculators, meaning professional money managers, and that is the green line. See these? Okay. Uh, Over the summer, you can see that these money managers took a large net short position as natural gas continued to rally. By the time prices moved comfortably above four bucks, they ran out of firepower. There was no one left to sell. And when that happens, prices tend to skyrocket, which is exactly what happened. That's, that is a cause and effect situation. Eventually, the bears started to capitulate, but in order to close out their positions, what did they have to do? They had to buy natural gas futures back, which pushed the prices even higher. And that's that last leg up. Garner believes this short squeeze is likely to be temporary. Now, just look at this chart. Nearly every time the large speculators get too negative, okay, green, 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 bang, 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 right? Look at this, what happens, right? Natural gas spikes, but then quickly plummets once the short squeeze comes back to an end. Back in 2014, this kind of squeeze took us to 575, all right, uh, initially. Then after a brief pullback, it made it one last run to 650. Eventually, the price retreated under 4 bucks, just as fast as it rallied. That's why commodity traders call natural gas the widowmaker. However, while she says the short squeeze is temporary, that doesn't mean it's out of juice. According to Garner, prices could keep roaring for a while before the breakdown. Why? Because the net short position held by large speculators only peaked a few weeks ago at 166,000 contracts. And you can see that right there. Uh, as, uh, as, um, sorry. Uh, as of the most recent commitments of traders report with data from last Tuesday, these institutions still hold 120,000 net short positions. Garner suspects that another 40 to 60,000 contracts got squeezed out last week, meaning roughly half of the shorts have already been forced out. The thing is, past short squeezes in natural gas didn't end until large speculators went neutral or even long. In other words, totally switched position, which means we've got a long ways to go before this move comes to an end. If that pattern holds true, Garner thinks natural gas could move toward its 2009 or 2014 highs. So now we're really starting to think about some very, you know, pretty elevated levels. Uh, 2014, well, we'll have to see it in a second. Uh, that's somewhere between 575 and 650. That would be around there. Now, take a look at this weekly chart of the natural gas futures. Ever since prices bolted above 3.30 in June, the fossil fuel hasn't looked back since, breaking out above $5 last Friday, which has become the new floor support. As long as that floor holds, Garner says the bulls are in control. Here's the floor. That's got to hold. However, she's also adamant that commodity markets behave in certain, a certain way. They don't follow rules, expectations, or even logic. They follow the emotion of human traders. That's why Garner thinks that natural gas can keep running the short run thanks to the combination of heavily shorted market and technical breakouts. Over the long term, though, these commodity rallies rarely last for one simple reason. When you're dealing with a commodity, the cure for high prices has always been, well, high prices. 
For years, the big natural gas producers have held back on drilling because prices are too low. But thanks to this breakout, Carner expects them to eagerly bring more supply to market. They already fired up a bunch of dormant rigs back in February in order to capitalize on the cold snap in Texas. We should see that on a larger scale now that the prices are above five bucks nationwide. So that's why this is such a crucial level. Now, take a look at the longer term monthly chart. Before natural gas tops out, Garner wouldn't be surprised if it can run to $6.15. Now, remember earlier I showed you where it could spike to? That would still be rather low versus there. Uh, Natural gas peaked there in 2009, all right? But now understand this. uh, Even at $6.50, we're peaked in 2014. Uh, we, we haven't seen prices above those levels since before the advent of fracking. So these are very significant levels, and you can see why they're freaking me out, because this is the natural building block of so much of our economy. That said, if natural gas breaks down below five, remember, that's the floor. Well, this whole move is over, and Garner expects a similar swift breakdown. Eventually, she's predicting that new supply will bring that gas back into equilibrium, nearly three bucks I find that to be a little too negative. However, she doesn't recommend trying to bet against it until the weak-handed short sellers finish getting squeezed out. Way too risky to try to put a cap on runaway natural gas prices. Still, if Garner's right, that's very good news for the rest of the economy. If these prices are mostly the result of a short squeeze and not anything organic, then it means persistent inflation might be less of a concern than we thought. Something that would confirm today's cooler-than-expected consumer price index number and, of course, would help Jay Powell's and Fed Chief Powell's uh, view that inflation is transitory. So here's the bottom line. The charts interpreted by Carly Garner suggest that natural gas could continue to explode higher for a little while. But only she thinks that this is the same kind of temporary short squeeze rally that we've seen in so many other commodities. Sooner or later, she's betting it will end and prices will fall as swiftly as they rose. I think it's going to be later. I think we could get up to here, but then go down to there. All right, let's go to Tom in Pennsylvania, please. Tom. Booyah, Mr. Kramer, from our uh, city of brotherly love. Uh, thank uh, you for big, coming on the show. What's going on? Uh, big fan, and thanks for all that you do. I know you're busy, so I'm going to get right no, to it. No, no, no. I got time. Come on, Tom. Let's go to work. <laughs> Given the reopening, the return to travel, this industry's role in manufacturing, and the infrastructure bill, combined with increased demand for rapidly industrializing nations, and not discounting uh, cyber attacks and recent impacts to the supply chain. What are your thoughts on ExxonMobil and the oil industry as a whole? Well, I do like uh, some of the oil stocks. Exxon is not my favorite. I happen to like Chevron a lot more, and I also like Pioneer, and I like Devon. And I don't think I need to have more than that. Any one of those got Pioneer for some good growth, Devon, real good uh, uh, dividend policy, and then Chevron, good dividend and really fantastic large-cap liquid uh, major oil and gas company. Right, the chart suggests that natural gas continue to roar higher short term. But eventually, this temporary short squeeze rally will end and prices could fall quickly. All right, much more money, uh, money ahead, including my exclusive with Tellurium, which happens to be, yes, again, a natural gas story. Up uh, nearly 150% this year. Tellurium has rebounded from its 2020 lows, but the stock is still lower than where it was pre pandemic. It's at three smackers. Are investors getting a good buying opportunity here? I'm going to talk to the top brass. Then crypto investors and gold investors tend to think there's only room for one of them. But I'm making peace between the two groups and sharing why there's room in this town for both of them. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tonight, we're talking about the relentless run in natural gas. It's a continual theme for me on the show. Earlier, we highlighted Carly Garner's chart work. She thinks it's temporary, and after an additional spike, the rally will subside. 
But what if it's not going to? In that case, you might want to own something like Tellurian. That's the company created by liquefied natural gas pioneer and genius Sharif Suki to invest in nat gas transportation infrastructure, symbol T-E-L-L. Tellurian's in the process of building liquefied natural gas export terminals that can eventually make them big money. Thanks to the recent natural gas rally, the stock's up nearly 150% for the year. But it's still at three bucks. Even after this move, though, it's down big from where it was trading before the pandemic. So could this be the opportunity you're looking for? Let's take a closer look at Sharif Suki. He's the visionary co-founder, executive chairman of Tellurian. To learn more about his vision for the future, Mr. Suki, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thank you very much for having me today. It's been uh, a while. Well, Sharif, I got to tell you, when uh, natural gas was at two fifty-three, dollars uh, $3, you sent me an email saying, you think this is the bottom, it's going to go up substantially. And I sent you back a snarky email saying, oh, please. And, well, you were right. I was wrong, as you've been the whole time. What did you see? What did you know? Well, Jim, fundamentally, um, 15% of the world's population uses 40% of the world's energy. So the rest of the world is trying to catch up. And for them to get simply to half of our living standards, we're going to need to find another 100 million barrels of oil equivalent. And most of that is going to be natural gas as opposed to oil. So fundamentally, it's a very, very strong global market. And what has happened in the last five or six years is the U.S. has, from an energy standpoint, become a full participant in the global infrastructure. So we're now connected to the rest of the world. And what happens everywhere else in the world makes a big impact. Uh, impact on us. Fortunately, we're blessed with enormous resources and we can do it if we want to. So now we have a pretty much of a worldwide arbitrage without a lot of friction, correct? That's correct. So what happens? Uh, The the friction, uh, Jim, is going to be the infrastructure because an enormous amount of infrastructure needs to be built. But we have the resource to do that. We're blessed Talk to me about the integrated model and the way it was different from what you did with Chenier. Well, when we were at Chenier, as you remember, we had started by thinking the U.S. was going to be short gas, so we wanted to import gas. And then, lo and behold, fracking happened, and uh, the revolution in the United States would change things dramatically. And we didn't know where it was going to end up being. What has happened now is that we're the largest producer of natural gas in the world. We are also one of the top two exporters of natural gas in the world. And we have the resource between the Marcellus, the Haynesville, and the associated gas in the, uh, in the Permian Basin to meet all of this very, very easily. All we have to do is drill a little bit more if we build the infrastructure. So we're connected to the rest of the world. The rest of the world doesn't have our luck. Most of the gas in the future is going to come from three places for the rest of the world, Russia, Qatar, and the U.S. And we're a very, very significant component of this. And if we decide to help the rest of the world and help ourselves, we will be able to do so. Well, is it possible that we could have the same shortage that Australia did when they decided to export so much that they actually got in trouble? No, not for the next few decades. Because when you look at the production, the the resource we have between the Marcellus, the Haynesville, and the Permian Basin, it's just a matter of having a few more rigs. I know prices are high now in the U.S. They'll probably be peak this winter. And then uh, the companies that were so distressed for two or three years will repair their balance sheets and will start drilling more 
and prices will come back down towards the end of next year. All right, good. In now, the U.S. In the U.S., the rest of the world, it's not the same story. They just don't have enough. Now, one thing that was a great opportunity for investors in common stock, but I didn't really understand in terms of bonds, was that you had to issue uh, uh, quite a 35 million shares at three bucks because of some sort of glitch involving the Nasdaq that would have uh, uh, otherwise allowed you to do a, a bond. How did that work out? Because I think you kind of gave away the stock too cheaply. No, it's two different things, uh, Jim. We did raise some money, and that's because uh, we're building our war chest to go make an acquisition. As you know, I want to be completely integrated, and I need to take a look at the opportunities. They're all over the place. There's a lot of producers now that are trading very cheaply, and it's a good opportunity, especially if you can get the gas on the water. It stands at $5 on the beach, but it sells at $20 on the water. So you, you want to capture that arbitrage. Uh, what happened with NASDAQ is we wanted to really to issue a bond, uh, but it was what they call now a baby bond. I'd never heard of this before. It trades in $25 denominations. A bank came to see us and said, we can do this. It's seven to eight years maturities and very light on covenants and 8% coupon. I thought it was too good to be true. Uh, the problem is it doesn't accrue interest. It trades pretty much like an equity security, right. ex-dividend or not. And NASDAQ could not get their arms around it and wanted to treat it as an equity, although it's simply an obligation of the company. So right. we had to cancel this, and we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, and then the last thing, I, I, where are you in terms of, the, of what's happened with the hurricanes? Has it slowed up your, uh, has it slowed your, your giant bill? No, not at all. We, as you know, we're in site preparation at the moment. We haven't started the hard construction. That won't start until March. So right now it's fine. There, there's no issues on the on the project. All right, well, this is a very cheap call in the whole situation, the $3 stock. I didn't think it would. I, yeah, I got to tell people to do it like you told me to buy uh, Chenier at 7. This is, at this point, it's ridiculous. If you want to get, if you, any of the gas producers in the U.S., um, and you're looking at what your prospects are. The, domestically, they're very limited. We're not going to increase demand domest domestically. But on the rest of the world, it's enormous. And you're going to have prices on the water that are a multiple of three or four times what they are in the United States. So well, just, just to cross the beach, you get paid a lot of money. All right. Well, look, everybody, you just got a nice three dollar spec that I think makes a ton of sense because this guy gave us it when it was seven uh, with Chenier and you went, I don't know, 20 fold. I guess that's about what you did. Anyway, that's Sharif Suki, co-founder and chairman of Delorean TLL. Sharif, it's always great to have you on the show. Great, Jim. Thank you very much. This was for the first 10 years, the biggest winner we had was Sharif's. Maybe you can do it again. Man money's back after the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. It is time to the lightning round. lightning round is over. Are you ready? Keep that time for the lightning round. To Jose in California, Jose. Mr. Kramer, thanks for taking my call. Shout of out course. to all your team. 
Yes. I just wanted to ask you a couple questions. Uh, first of all, I just got a puppy for my son, and I wanted to build some portfolio for my son. So what do you think about Park? I want to get some I need something less effective. You want to go Zoetis for animal health, or you want to go to Idex for animal health, or if you want to be that particular, you can buy Chewy, but not original Bark. It's too risky. Let's go to Carol in Florida. Carol. Thanks, Sam, for taking my call. Of I wanted course. your thoughts on Lenore Corporation. Uh, Lenore, it's had a very big run right now. I'm sensing that this market is angry. It's the kind of stock that's going to have to come down. I can't hang my hat on anything involving the home builders. Let's go to, to uh, James, to uh, Pat in Nebraska. Pat. Quotion Technologies, formerly known as Coupons.com, operates an no, ad network. No, no, way too brand. risky. Way too risky. Coupons.com, no, no matter what name. Uh-uh. Let's go to Jameson, Oklahoma. Jameson. I can Jimbo use it, Chill. Thanks for always having the backs of the financial underdogs like myself. Sure try. Hey, I'm talking about a stock that has the headwinds of the Chinese Communist Party, but it's got whispers at the Wall Street Fed base. on it. How do you feel about Alibaba? I'm throwing the book at Alibaba. Yeah, Mal's Little Red Book. I've got to tell you, I am done. I am done. I am not touching any of these Chinese shows. Chinese stocks. You can't. I need one more. I need to go to Brian in New York. Brian. Yeah, hi, Jim. Big fan. 20 years. Uh, Make it fast. Fulcrum Therapeutics. Fulcrum Therapeutics. No. Oh, man. Another one just too risky. Too risky. We've got to go with blue chip for now. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the... Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, is your crypto investment as good as gold? Kramer meddles in the melee between two asset classes that can't seem to get along. Next. Not either or. Yet that's how I feel every time I see anyone argue about owning gold versus owning cryptocurrencies. There tends to be no love lost between investors in these two alternative assets. Call it the narcissism of small differences. Never mind that both groups love to bash fiat currency and central banks. The gold bugs are contemptuous of the cryptoids because gold's been around forever. It's been a stable store of value for millennia. But the cryptoids think of gold as a fuddy-duddy investment, something that can't get out of its own way. While Bitcoin and Ethereum, the two biggest cryptocurrencies, have made you ridiculous fortunes in recent years. Gold, they say, was supposed to be a defense against inflation and governments printing too much money. But in this what-have-you-done-for-me-lately market, well, let's just say that gold has been a serious disappointment. Plus, the gold people tend to be sober and serious and, most importantly, subdued by comparison. Mark Bristow, the CEO of Barrick Gold, arguably the greatest miner of our era, is using $1,700 as his 2021 price target for the precious metal. But his five-year forecast is for much lower levels. I have to ask you a question. How often do you hear any crypto backers predict lower prices? I mean, they're more like Kathy Wood from ARK Investments. Uh, Bitcoin's at 46000 right now. I mean, she loves to talk about how it could go to five. Hundred grand in five years' time. Last night, said it with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Now, I don't want to cast dispersions. But what is a tremendous proselytizer for what she believes in? What is her very big call to buy Tesla at much lower levels, which made you fortunes? If anyone else was calling for Bitcoin at 500 grand, they'd be laughed out of the room. 
Woods got a track record to get away with it, though. That said, I can't imagine a tough, shrewd guy like Mark Bristow, CEO of Barrick, ever arguing that gold will be at $17,000 in five years without sacrificing every shred of his hard-won credibility. The way I see it, though, gold and cryptocurrencies are not in the same category. They're not in competition with each other. They do different things. Cryptocurrencies are very speculative assets. They're backed by nothing, not history, not governments. They trade on faith. If you want a speculative asset that's incredibly volatile, you can do worse. Gold, on the other hand, has tremendous scarcity value, not to mention a history of being difficult to find. Typically, the supply of found gold goes up about only 1% per year, which means there's never enough around to keep it low for too long. And it's proven it's worth in, well, in gold, especially if you're trying to flee from a dangerous place without losing all your assets. At the end of the day, I am a believer in both gold and crypto. I regard gold as an insurance policy against long-term inflation. It's boring, but absolutely essential. I regard something like Bitcoin or Ethereum as a speculative trade. I can't see them as anything more than that because they lack a history and they're insanely volatile. Maybe crypto is going to be a storehold of value when it goes up, but it's a colossal error when it goes down. That's not what I'm looking for in insurance policy. You don't speculate with insurance. Crypto absolutely has its advantages if you're willing to take on extra risk to chase big gains. But that's very different from protecting yourself. But there's absolutely no reason to treat these two things as somehow equivalent. They serve different functions. Gold's value is in its timelessness. Crypto's value is in its timeliness. You want insurance? Buy gold. You want to speculate? Buy Bitcoin or Ethereum. But do not confuse the two. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mint Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.